Hey everyone, it's Tom Quee here, Alf Metallica, back with the episode everyone has been waiting for. I get emails every week. When are you doing Ice Tunny, people ask. They just, they are clamouring for this. They don't want to hear about Holier Than Now or Hit The Lights or I Disappear from last week. Yes, we're doing Ice Tunny of uh, Lulu, which if you're not aware... Metallica and Lou Reed did this collab album in 2011, and it's slowly growing on me. I'm never going to be positive about it, but I think it's it's a it's a curious invention, a bit of miscellany, if anything else. Just before we get to today's guest, today's song, uh, please follow the show at MetallicaPod. Please get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, you want to discuss a song, we're pretty much all booked out. Uh, recording this on the 10th of September, we're pretty much all booked out until the end of the year. I think we've just got little dog left which is a lulu song the rest of them get snapped up pretty quickly but yeah if you want to come on you want to discuss something i said on previous episodes got a guitar hero episode coming up which is going to be a lot of fun i'm personally working on a new episode which is going to discuss finn lizzie and metallica the influence of, of finn lizzie on metallica i'm a giant finn lizzie fan and this has been really fun to go back and search for articles and find there's loads of quotes from these guys talking about how much they love phil and scott and gary and you know all the assorted irishmen and beyond so uh yeah those are coming out if you want to listen to them first, go on to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash AlphaBetallica. You want to give back to the show, it's our little pay-per-view sort of thing. Leave a review on iTunes as well. Uh, greatly appreciate everyone that goes on there. Today's guest is Nick. And Nick, I think you hold a hallowed place in AlphaBetallica history. I think you're the first person to be on for free songs. You're my uh, you're my very own Paul Moak. <laughs> Nick? What? Yeah, what, what, what a nerdy Metallica reference, but still. Oh my god, yeah. For like the uh, the five people who listen and get that. So. Yeah, yeah, for the trues. For the, for the... <laughs> I guess it's my duty to talk about pretty bad songs. I mean, outside of Fade to Black, the yeah. and Hop, and now, you know... You, shit, I might as well just do Little Dog too, you know, just round out the whole the whole field. So <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Faust, you know. You got to make a pact with the devil. If you come on for Fade to Black, you've got to come on for a Lulu song as well. I'm afraid. And, yeah, uh, well, you know, you know someone's got to do it. <laughs> and you know, we established in past episodes, as I said, we did uh, Cretin Harp, Cretin Harp, and now into this one. You've been a fan for a long time. What do you remember about uh, the emergence of Lulu? Do you remember hearing about this? Actually, I do. Um, I remember it was around the springtime of 2011 and Kirk gave an interview with some magazine or publication and he was talking about how, um, you know, Metallica's going into the studio to record something, but it's not a Metallica album. So we were all a little confused of like, what the hell does he mean? He's going into the studio, like they're going into the studio to record, but it's not a Metallica album. So we were all kind of like, we don't know what's going on. And it was... I think we found out later on in the summer because they were doing like, I think they were doing some of the big four shows at the time and it came out somewhere like around late summer. Oh yeah, they're doing this stuff with Lou Reed and we all went, uh, what? Yeah. It just seemed so out of, out of left field. And, um, you know, when we heard the view later on, we were like, oh, okay. And then once the album dropped, we're like, oh, this is not, no, this is not good. No, this is not good at all. No, no. Uh, you know, Pitchfork gave gave it a one point zero damning, and I, I try and portion them off really, but just as something I can approach with fresh ears. Although they kind of make me want to bludgeon my uh, my hearing when I listen to them. To be honest, but I respect the dissonance. I respect the chaos, and you've got to approach these songs as not Metallica songs. It's more Metallica with the backing band for Lou, right? 
Right, right. And that was that was the impression that I think a lot of us finally came to afterwards. Like, it's not a Metallica album. It's Lou Reed's album with Metallica has the backing band. Mm-hmm. So not that it made it better, but at least it's a little bit more accepting of like, okay, this isn't the band's full vision. This is just them being more or less paid musicians, you know, for Lou Reed. So it was... I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out to you. Would you rather listen to Carpe Diem, baby, or Iced Honey? <laughs> oh my God, what a choice! What a loaded question. Oh, <laughs> oh, I probably Iced Honey actually, just because oh, I. Re- come, Tom, <laughs> come on, come on, Tom. <laughs> I just, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I could. I think I could grow to like Iced Honey lyrically, at least. I think Carpe Diem is is beyond saving, for, just for me personally, just for, just just to my tastes. And I guess the problem I have with this song is it's not even the experimental ambition that they pursue, which is pretty much ceaseless in the record. It's that it's kind of formulaic as well. There is a Lulu format that Iced Honey adheres to, that Brandenburg Gate adhered to when we did that earlier, that Cheat On Me adhered to. It's essentially three things. It's a big, broad, slightly interesting riff that pretty much is the song, as is today. There's pretty much one riff that goes throughout the song. There is Lou Reed's kind of sub-Charles Bukowski beat poet babblings that are kind of interesting and, you know, some lyrical ideas, I don't mind. And then there's James vamping in the background, occasionally providing backing vocals. That's pretty much every song on Lulu. Yeah, you know what? Those are almost my notes verbatim. Like, to me, it's just... It is. It's just one riff played over and over and over again. And then with Ice Tony, what makes it, a, to me, a little bit easier than the rest of the album is that it's only four and a half minutes yeah. long. You know, it's not Junior Dad of like, whatever, like, what is it, it's 20 not, minutes I think or it's 19 minutes it is. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, Tom, you love long songs, so it's right in your wheelhouse right yeah. there. But even still, like with, you know, with this album in... I did listen to it obviously before you know before this uh, this podcast, mm-hmm. and the thoughts that I have now were the same back then, and it was kind of confirmed by Lars about a year or so ago. It really does sound like the whole album is just the rough pass of the songs, and Lou you know mumbled over it, and that's what we have. So I remember I was listening to the It's Electric podcast, and Lars was interviewing Greg Fiddleman. And they talked about Lulu. Hmm. And he was saying how first, like, what I'm what I'm interested with in this album is that like Lou gave the band very bare bones, you know, song structures. I think Lars referred to them at one point as soundscapes. Like they weren't even like really, you know, can, you know, put together riffs. It was just yeah. kind of sounds. So I'm interested, just out of morbid curiosity, what those, you know, soundscapes or what, like whatever Lou gave Lars and James to kind of whip up into shape. Because this album came together very, very fast. You know, it was like written, quote unquote, yeah. recorded, produced from, I think, April to June in 2011. You know, 10 songs, about 85, 86 minutes, you know, now, granted, now that we, what we know now of like there are basically just ten or eleven riffs between those ten songs yeah. because they're just repeated over and over. I really want to know what Lou had that that James and 
and Lars worked with. But also, I'm interested to see, because there really isn't a lot of documentation with this album. And no. this band documents everything. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen, like, hardwire-type videos of this. Just yeah, them, getting, I, them getting pissed off with Lou. Yeah, because that's, that's what I was, like, just, yeah. you know, in my babbling way trying to get yeah, to. Yeah. Was, like, it's like, what is it, you know, like, we, I think this is the one time in Metallica's history where Lars and James kind of conceded creative control. I think they realized like they have respect for, for Lou. This is his project. We're in his house. Let's, let's play nice. So when they started this whole process, from what I understand, you know, from what the, the whole thing that Laura's and Greg were talking about, it was the band again, like if we're watching the hardwired videos and they're doing the maps for the songs. You, they would do like, two or three run-throughs just to get to, you know, the composition right, the transitions right. And with working with Lou, you know, they would do that process. They would run through a song maybe three times, four times, and we would go, that's it, we're done. And that caused that, you know, creative tension. I think Lars even said at one point that he, like, Lou wanted to punch him in the face. (laughs) You know, they wanted to fight. And I can only imagine, like, like Lou Reed, I don't know how old he was at the time. He was over 70. Like, him trying to fight Lars, it... That would have been interesting as hell. I would have paid good money to see that. Um, maybe Lars has like an old like tennis move, like underhook. Yeah, you know, I get lose. the idea. Lose like a dirty fighter though. He's a bit of a street fighter. Like you just sling a telly at him or something. Right? Yeah, or like, yeah, gouge his eyes. And, yeah, you know, bite yeah. him in the nose or something. It, it it would it would have been interesting. It was far far more interesting than what we actually got on on the album. And what's what's a shame about it is, it's actually sonically really good. It's produced really well. Mm. And I also feel that it does have some of Lars's better drumming, and the riffs are, you know, unfortunately, the riffs are really good. But you only have like one or two riffs per song, and like we talked about before, and I made in my notes here, it's a simple riff. It's sort of there. There could have been some boosting to the songs, especially with Ice Honey. It's just that one riff looped over and over and over yeah. again. And it's like it doesn't go anywhere. Like you can have a simple song, but you know, make it interesting. This really isn't interesting. You know, then at the end they do the trash can ending out where it just kind of does like the fast double you know, like the double kicks and you know, James kind of screaming at you know, the ice tunny at the end. But yeah. it's just it's not di- it's not very dynamic. It's just kind of eh. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny you say eh, because I I like the intro where Lou just goes one, two, three, eh. Mm-hmm. It kind of sums up that sort of apathy that's inherent within the composition. And yeah, again, we're kind of dancing around the song here, dear listeners, because there really isn't much to say. And I know most people probably have not heard Ice Tunny, have no interest in listening to Ice Tunny. Maybe you pity us for even doing an episode on Ice Tunny. Uh, But I think lyrically, there's a few things I can sort of salvage. I'm not going to try and make sense of the song. I know it's within this tableau of like the narrative of some prostitute or something like that i don't really know there's some images that i think have a kind of obscure poetic worth if you make others feel like jam poured on a piece of charbroiled lamb i don't know what that means lou but you know yeah <laughs> uh, lots of butterfly imagery as well um the river sticks 
which is some mm-hmm. sort of submission, of course, to the older days. And yeah, you mentioned them singing at the end as well, because James is sort of darting in and out the back of the song. And then in the outro, as, as in many of the songs, uh, Lou and James sing together. And one of the things I mentioned to you just before we went on air that I know you've seen is there's actually two live performances of this song online. They played it for, I guess, the the German equivalent of the BBC or PBS or, you know, one of their programs. They did like a whole session on there, which is actually pretty cool. We've discussed that mm-hmm. before. And they did the 30th anniversary shows. Uh, Lou came out. They did three songs. They did The View. They did White Light, White Heat, which is actually a Velvet uh, Underground song. I was going to say Velvet Revolver then, for some reason. Uh, and they also could Slivered by Velvet Revolver. No, they could, did White Light, White Heat. And then, of course, they did um, Ice Tunny as well. And I, what did you think of that performance? The performances uh, for both, I've seen them. They're actually they're very good. Yeah. You know, when you only have to like play one riff yeah. for four and a half minutes, you know you can't you can't really fuck that up. So, you know they were good. I, if I recall correctly, because I, I I did see the 30th anniversary videos. You know when when they premiered like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. I really haven't gone back, you know, religiously to watch them. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but I don't. I think Lou Reed got a, a little less than a warm reception. I'm not quite sure. I- I don't remember the exception, but he. I, what, what did stick out to me is he, how frail he looks. Like, you know, the way that Kirk and James bang their guitars, and he's petting it like an old man and a cat. Like, Well, he is an old man. He is an old man. He is an old man. So, um, you know, in, in with those, you know, like the, you know, on both, like, the German show and the, the 30th anniversary, like, they did very well with the songs. But I think what gets to me the most about this whole collaboration is that, it, like, what if it actually was a true collaboration where, like, James actually contributed some lyrics, or like, like maybe he sung a song, or like Lou did a song, you know? Because all this stuff of like deception and murder and uh, like the like like the um, like the vulgarities of, of like the earth, like the wanting of the flesh, like I think James could have sunk his teeth into this material to pull out some really good lyrics. And also, too, I think it was a little bit of you know. Well, actually, not a little bit, very much of a misfire of like this would have been maybe Metallica's very, very first actual, um, not, not thematic album. Help me out, Tom. I'm blanking out here. Concept record. Com- thank mm. you. See, that's why, that's why you're the, that's why you do the podcast and not me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it would have been a great concept record for Metallica. And like, they've never really done a concept record. Like, all no. their albums pretty much are thematic. Where like two or three songs might tie into the main theme, like like Master of Puppets with manipulation. You know, yeah, they're, they're not strong. rushed though, are they? Like, yeah. No, like it would have been really cool to see Metallica do a you know, concept album, and they had an opportunity here, but I think they realized, oh, this isn't our project. This is Lou's project. Let's back off. You know, let's let's play nice and you know see where it goes. So again, I th- you know we're all like. We, we're all kind of in agreement it's just not really it's a misfire it's yeah. not that good of an album it, it, it could have been grandiose because again just the themes within the play you know really could have presented itself in you know in a manner where like it could have satisfied both metallica fans and lee reed fans but it just kind of it was it was unique and different for the sake of being unique and different if anything, yeah. If anything else, it was it was incredibly pioneering. I can't think of anything where this elder statesman of avant-garde music 
is combining with a metal band. You know, I'd love to see in the future maybe Mastodon back Willie Nelson or, you know, something going that direction because it was a that cool be collaboration. Cool. Uh, that would be cool. I just made that up. That, that would, would, be, that would be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. But I don't I don't think that's going to happen. And I, I, as I always no. do, I open it up uh, to the Twitter. And the last episode, I disappeared. We got so much feedback. In this, we got about three or four tweets. Most people haven't heard the song. Um, Master of Puns simply saying no comment. So, <laughs> true. Uh, Luke saying, "Not going to lie, I've never bothered to listen to it." Rob saying, "Grim," simply just saying, "Grim." Uh, Kyle saying, "I think it's the only Lulu track I've gotten through, although I've never returned." <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, we had to for you know for yeah. the sake of like the show, but yeah, I. I I don't go back and listen to Lulu. And uh, um, finally, I think Alex encapsulates a lot of thoughts on this. Never listen to it. Don't feel bad about it. Yeah. I mean, again, the, the only few positives I can see coming from this album was the production mm. and the fact that they were able to pump out this album with like in a calendar year from like conception to completion. And I think that rubbed off a little bit on Hardwired, especially with the actual song Hardwired, where that song was basically conceived and recorded and produced in like what three or four days mm. so there was a little bit but that's that's stretching the time i'm trying to find some good things here and that's what i got yeah there's a warmth to the riff that early on and then it gets dissonant there's sort of odd elements of counter melody like hang nailing along it's certainly not something you'd sing riding down the open highway um it's not catchy there's no real no. force in in lose words I, I again lyrically you can pour over it like an english student if you want to and find some sort of arcane meaning but you know a song is about the sum of its parts ultimately and mm-hmm. i don't think it succeeds i mean any any final thoughts on this nick uh well of all the songs on lulu i have here in my notes it's probably the most conventional song yeah. structure wise but you know that it doesn't that's not saying a whole lot that, that's like saying you know what you know you know like hey you know i gained you know 15 pounds today and you know eight of it's in muscle well you still have seven in fat so i mean it's not that you know you're tr- i'm trying to find like i'm just i'm searching for something positive about yeah. the album and it was ambitious for the wrong reasons so yeah and i'm just perfect. i'm just gonna leave it at that <laughs> And uh, we mentioned Junior Dad earlier, which is a song that closes uh, disc two, 19 minutes and 30 seconds. We're actually tackling that in about a month on the show. Uh, we've got Invisible Kid, It's Electric, Judas Kiss, Jump in the Fire, and then Junior Dad with uh, Tommy Trinkler. So that should be a fun episode. Um, mm. So and, uh, I should say as well, these weird podcasty Metallica circles that we run in. It's been great to see that your design um, for the Cover Our World Blackened EP by Clinton Ethan it became quite a popular print, right? Yeah. Um, they, yeah. Uh, Clint asked me if, if they wanted, to, if, if, uh, if I was allowed them to use a shirt or use a design for a shirt. I said, sure. You know, mm. cause they're like, doing, they're doing a whole thing with a vent press where they're doing like a limited run of t-shirts. So that was the first one just to kind of see like there was interest, which there already was like when the EP dropped earlier in the year, people wanted a print or a shirt. So they're like, well, let's just, put this out and see what happens right now they're doing the paul shirt yep um and i think there's going to be a couple other ones coming down the pike so you know yeah it's so it's so like weird and cool at the same time of like yeah like having this kind of revolving door of like metallica podcast where like yeah i'm on your show and you know i have the presence of metal podcast and i did stuff with brandon with uh the uh 
in Summer for All series with Injustice for All oh, yeah. on what, the what, Telecast. What was that? Um, basically, like we, I did. Um, it was basically your show. Like, like Brandon mm-hmm. took each song off of Injustice for All. Like, it's not, it's not his regular format for the, uh, for the podcast. But he, um, you know, because it was the 30th anniversary of Injustice for All, he examined each song. And he did most of the shows by himself. Like he had Clint on for To Live Is To Die. He had Kevin Van Dam on for Eye of the Beholder. And I was on for uh, Harvester of Sorrow. And I think he might have someone else for Dyer's Eve. So, and he just you know had a discussion like like here. And I did Harvester of Sorrow because that was my favorite song from the album. And it's probably the, the happiest song off of Injustice for All. <laughs> yeah, it probably You is. know, yeah, I mean, when you have the word infanticide, you know, in your song and it's your lead single, I mean, that's gold right there. I mean, how can you not get any happier than that? So it's such an uplifting song of just murdering a man's, you know, man murdering his family. So, all right. Well, yeah, everyone should definitely go check that out. And then when we return in about a, a month's time, I'm going to check out. I've been looking, looking into Lou Reed's history a little before this episode. He actually released his album in 2003 that I want to hear called The Raven. It's a concept album where he takes the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe and composes it to music. And I'm pretty into Edgar Allan Poe, actually. Could be awful, could be brilliant. Definitely going to check that out. And I guess, Nick, finally, yourself, how do people get at you, your your work? Well, I mean, I'm most active on Instagram and on Twitter, and all my handles are Nick Makoviak. That's N-I-C-K-M-O-C-K-O-V-I-A-K. Right now, the uh, what am I doing for, for things? I know... I'm going back onto Metallicast later on this month with Brandon. We're gonna cut an episode on Pusshead, mm. right up my, right in my wheelhouse. Nice. Um, I'm gonna see Metallica October 20th at State College in Pennsylvania, and I'm gonna, I'm doing the Metal Tales from the Road with, you know, with with the boys, Clint oh. Ethan. So, um, yeah, just making artwork as usual. You know, teaching kids how to, you know make art and all that so you know just just you know plowing through one day yep. at a time tom yeah one day at a time best way to do it best way to do it well as ever it's been a treat to have you on nick and i just want to say let us know in the comments as well down below ice tunny what do you think of this song i'm sure you've probably never ever heard it get in touch with me metallicapod at gmail.com with any feedback anything else you want to discuss uh, we'll get to that correspondence patreon's there itunes is there as I've said before, we will be back next week. We are doing Invisible Kid, which should be an interesting episode. My favorite song on St. Anger. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, Come at me, people. I love it. I love, it's I love Invisible Kid. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little long, but the, the, the closing riff that comes in about seven minutes, it's fucking heavy. Like, it's one of the heaviest metallic riffs I've ever heard. Like, And it's it, like the intro's cool and the the whole aesthetic of the... Yeah, we're going to get into Invisible Kid. And yeah, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. like Invisible Kid, actually, even though they begrudge St. Anger, but... You know, mm-hmm. all within my hands, dirty window, uh, my world, I like frantic, say anger, some kind of monster. It ain't that bad of an album, people. It ain't that bad of an album. But uh, I agree. I agree, Tom. Know. Say anger, good album. Yeah, good album. But uh, Nick, as always, thank you again. My pleasure, Tom. Mm-hmm.